1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, over the past couple of weeks, we've seen, well, first of all, two weeks ago, we looked at six ways to be ready for the rapture. And they were quick test. Anybody know what they are? Remember what they are? Well, that's okay. Don't worry about that. I'll give them to you. Number one, be saved. Number two, be secure. Be certain of your salvation. Know that you know that you know that you're a child of God. Number three, be serving. Have a devoted service to the Lord. Just be faithfully serving Him. If you really believe that we're in the last days, then you ought to be serving the Lord, correct? Number four, be steadfast. We talked about being prepared for persecution. It's going to come. It's here, folks. It's not going to come. It's already here. And we need people who are steadfast, who will not be moved off of the truth, be moved off of the Word of God. And then they're sharing. Learn to share your faith. There are a lot of folks that need to be saved today, right? Well, that's a big amen like you mean it too. But there's a lot of folks that need to be saved today. And we probably know one or two. And we need to be willing to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ and witness of him to them. And then number six was separation. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, how that so many times a child of God who's not living for him to cause a lost person to reject Christ. This world wants to see some reality in the lives of people who profess Jesus Christ as Savior. They want to see us living up to what we say we are. Now, we know that we're not perfect, but the world expects to see us living perfect lives. So we need to live as close to the Lord as we can and be what God would have us to be and present Jesus to other people. And then last week, we looked at the signs of the times, and the Lord gave us seven signs of the times in that message last week, how we can know that the coming of Christ is near. And they were, first of all, counterfeit Christ. There'll come those who say that they are Christ. And we've seen, I think the figure was 1,100 in the last 50 years. 1,100 people claiming to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And then wars and rumors of wars, continuing conflict that it's going on and on. And every so often you hear about a new skirmish, a new conflict, a new battle breaking out somewhere else. Cataclysmic consequences. We talked about famine and we talked about earthquakes and we talked about pestilences. We don't know what's on the horizon as far as the next pandemic, but I'm sure they've got something lined up. I'm sorry. I just ought to think that way, all right? But continuing in cataclysmic consequences, and then again we come back to this. Isn't it amazing that this everywhere we look, this is here, committed Christians being persecuted for the cause of Christ. The Lord has told us over and over and over again in his word, if you live for him, just expect some persecution. And it's not always being beaten and jailed and that sort of thing. It may just be being belittled 
because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's as much persecution as these other things. Remember 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to come. Just get ready for it. And then we talked about Christless cults. Cults that will lead many astray. And I'm going to pause right here because there's something I put on my Facebook this morning. And you may not get to see it, but I'm going to tell you about it. There's a book that is for sale. And apparently it's for sale on Amazon. And it's a children's storybook. And in this children's storybook, it, the story about Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And it says that John asked Jesus, why do you want to be baptized? And Jesus replied, to wash away my sins. Folks, that's heresy. That's heresy straight out of the pits of hell. Jesus had no sin. Jesus was and is the only begotten son of God. Don't buy those books for your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren or whoever. They will lead them away from God. And then carnal coldness, because iniquity shall abound. The love of many is going to wax cold. And don't we see it this morning? Just look around you. Because there's not a new sin. There's not really any more sin. But sin is more open. And in my opinion, more of God's people are willing to be involved in it. And their love for the Lord is wax cold. And then Christ's commission, this is the good part of it. Christ's commission carried out through all the world. And the gospel has been preached in all the world. I said not to every person. But in all the world, the gospel's out there. And in fact, this message this morning is going out into all the world by way of the internet. Anybody anywhere in the world that can tune in and anybody can find our page and anybody can get on it and watch the message, anybody can hear the message from the Word of God. Amen. So now, after all of that, our study brings us to the point that we've prepared for and that we're instructed to pray for. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus said we're to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to pray for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus taught that. We're to pray that he would come. You know, a lot of people will pray when, for Jesus to come when things get difficult, when they have an illness, when they've lost a loved one. Well, now would be a good time for the Lord to come back. But do we pray for Jesus to come back for his return when things are going well? Amen. When everything seems to be just right and boy, we're just really hitting it off and we're having a big old time, do we stop then and pray, even so come Lord Jesus? Amen. Now millions of saved have believed throughout the ages that there would be a time called the last days and that there would be this thing called the resurrection and the rapture of the saved. This has been the hope of believers since the very first century. In fact, we're going to read in just a moment from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what did the Apostle Paul say there? We which are alive and remain. Paul expected, I believe, to go in the rapture with the saved. First century. And that has been our hope. That has been our great desire since that time. The coming of Christ and the resurrection and the rapture of the saved has been the subject of thousands of songs. It's been the subject of hundreds of thousands of sermons. But you know what? Sadly, not everybody has the hope that we have. Amen. Sadly, not everybody believes what the Bible says 
about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it important to preach the rapture and the resurrection? Is it important to preach about Christ's return? Well, yes, it is. Well, why is it so important to preach about Christ's return? Well, first of all, to remind us that he is coming and to remind us that his coming is near. You know, we tend to forget, don't we? That's okay. You can say yes, we do. We tend to forget about the coming of Christ. We'll get up in the morning and the day will just be another day. One morning we'll get up and the trumpet will sound and it won't be just another day, all right? We get like those of Noah's day. What did they do? They went about life as usual, marrying, giving in marriage, eating, drinking, you know, all those things. And we will do that. And so we have to be reminded, look, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And it will cause us to make sure that we are ready. Salvation, security, service, all of those things that we mentioned, it will cause us to be sure that we are ready for his, remember there's a difference between being prepared and being ready. You can be prepared, you can be saved, but if you're not living for him, you're not ready for him to return. And it will give us an incentive to faithfulness. You know, on a Sunday morning, I don't want to be somewhere else than in the Lord's house among God's people worshiping the Lord if Jesus returns on a Sunday morning. And wouldn't it just be ideal for him to return on a Sunday morning? You know, we talked about this. I think Sister Vicki and I sort of texted or emailed or something back and forth about that. Can you imagine sitting here on a Sunday morning and we're singing, oh, what, what could we sing? We're singing when the roll is called up yonder or something like that. And then all of a sudden, you're the only one left on that pew and everybody else is gone. Would that be scary? It ought to be. I'm not saying any of you would be left, but what if somebody were here that wasn't saved and the rapture would occur? They'd be left in an empty building. Okay? Because I believe that you who are here today know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. So it gives us an encourage and an incentive to faithfulness and it encourages us to strengthen ourselves and to strengthen one another as God's children in these last days. Listen, I need your strength. Amen. I need your prayers. I need your fellowship. I need your strength. And I believe that you need the strength of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. You know, we can just look around us and know that we're not like Elijah. You know, Elijah said, Lord, I'm the only one that's left. Well, we can just look around us and know we're not like Elijah in that sense. I don't feel like I'm the only one left because I've got brothers and sisters in Christ who are here this morning who will help encourage and strengthen me. In 1 Thessalonians, I said we're going to read 1 Thessalonians from 1 Thessalonians 4 in just a minute. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in verse 18, remember what it says? After he's talked about the resurrection, after he's talked about the rapture, what does the Apostle Paul say? He says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Just comfort one another. That word comfort is the word that's the same word for the Holy Spirit, paracolio, to call alongside, to implore, to exhort, to console. And he's saying, when we think about the coming of Christ, it ought to comfort us. It ought to strengthen us. We ought to find comfort and hope in knowing that God's not going to just leave us here, that Jesus Christ is coming back for us. That's why it's called the blessed hope over in the second chapter of the book of Titus. Because it's a hope of one day 
being with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the book of Colossians, the first chapter, beginning in verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. Look at verse 5. Here it is. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Folks, we have hope. Not just in this, we've got hope laid up in heaven. We're going to go there. We're going to be with the Lord. Now we understand that the coming of Jesus is in two stages, if you want to, for lack of a better term, okay. He comes in the air for his saints, and then seven years later, he comes to this earth to set up his millennial kingdom. And I don't think there's a better description of that coming in the air for his saints than we find in 1 Thessalonians the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. See, we have hope when we lose a loved one. We have hope. And the Word of God says don't sorrow as those who don't have any hope, as the lost world. He goes on to say, for if or since, literally, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Isn't that wonderful? We'll ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. And so here's a description of what's going to take place one of these days. And as we look at this, I want us to look at, first of all, there's going to be an abundance of majestic sounds. Now we Baptist folks sometimes like it to be real quiet when service is going on, don't we? Right? Be careful, don't talk. Don't get too loud. Right? I got news for you. It's not going to be quiet when the Lord comes. Amen. Because the very first thing we're going to hear is the shout. I'm sorry. Is the shout. <laughs> we do it the right way. Is the shout of victory. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. This word shout talks about a, it has a picture of a Greek hero shouting to his followers in battle. He's giving them a command. He's giving them a summons. And so he shouts to those who are following him. We'll hear the beckoning voice of our Lord when he comes. I don't know what it will sound like. I don't know what the Lord will say. But you know, in John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so when the Lord shouts, guess what? If you're saved, you're going to hear the shout and you're going to follow his command. Well, what will the command be? I said, I don't know. Maybe it will be a command like this, arise, okay? Well, why would you say that? Well, you look at Luke chapter seven, verse 14. He's near the city of Nain. A widow has lost her son. He's died. And he's on the funeral pyre and they're carrying him out and Jesus just breaks up the funeral. He stops it. And what does he say? He says, young man, 
I say to thee, arise. And that young man came to life and sat up, and Jesus raised him from the dead. We also read in Mark chapter 5, verse 41, Jairus' daughter. And Jesus went to her. And what does he say? He raised her because it says he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say to thee, arise. And so who knows? The Lord may just appear in the air and say, arise. And all of those in the grave will come forth and, and we will come forth. But then you look at John chapter 11, verse 43. Jesus' good friend Lazarus had died. You know, Jesus got word that Lazarus was sick and he didn't go right away. In fact, later he said to his disciples, he said, Lazarus is dead and I'm glad for your sakes. Because they were going to get to see Jesus do something miraculous. It was marvelous. He'd been dead three or four days. And Jesus is standing outside the tomb. And what does he say? Lazarus, come forth. And here came Lazarus. One preacher suggested he came out singing glory to his name. <laughs> I don't know. He may have been. But Lazarus came forth. So maybe Jesus just says, come forth or come or come up here. I've contended over the years that he may have to say to some of us, wake up, you know. But Jesus will come with a shout, and it is a shout that says, come and be with me forever. Now, where do you get that? Go back to John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. That means it doesn't end. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Here we are. We're in the hands of Jesus. And the hands of Jesus are in the hands of God the Father. Folks that don't believe in the security of the believer, I feel sorry for them. I'd hate to live my life worrying about making one misstep which caused me to lose my salvation. Folks, we're secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going to be a shout that permeates the graves and the depths of the seas and every child of God who has ever died and every child of God who is living shall hear that shout. So he comes with a shout. But not just the, the shout, there's the sound of angels also. Look at what it says. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel. Brother Jim, which archangel does it? I don't know. I can offer some suggestions, but the Lord doesn't tell us here. He said just with the voice of the archangel. And it also refers to a shout. There's going to be a whole lot of shouting going on. Amen. There's going to be a whole lot of shouting going on. The Lord shouts. The angel shouts. We're not told what he shouts. Maybe... The angel shouts glory as the saved are taken up from this earth. Maybe he shouts amen. We're not told, but I have some suggestions. It may be also a shout of victory. A shout of victory. You know what Jesus said? He said, he said a lot of things, didn't he? But here's what he said. One of the things he said, that in heaven there is rejoicing when somebody comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Listen to it. Jesus said, Likewise, I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, one sinner that repenteth. There's joy in the presence of angels. Listen to what Revelation 
Chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 says, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts of the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Angels rejoice at the sight of the Redeemer. So we have angels rejoicing. We have Jesus shouting. And if angels rejoice at the salvation of a soul, if angels rejoice at the sight of the Redeemer, then certainly angels are going to be rejoicing when the full realization of our salvation takes place, folks. Amen. See, you're saved right now, though you don't look like it. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 3, didn't he? What God said through John. Right now we're the children of God, but it doesn't yet appear what we're going to be. That's just a nice way of saying you're a child of God, but you sure don't look like one right now. One of these days we'll look like one, okay? The resurrection of the dead saved and the rapture of the living saved is a great victory over evil, folks. In our text, look back to verses 54 through 57. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. And all of that is going to be taken care of for us in the rapture and the resurrection of the saved, folks. We win a great victory. Did you get what I said? We win. Amen. Okay. Did you ever see a sports team that won a contest that said, oh boy, we won. <laughs> oh, great. And yet we can talk about the rapture and the resurrection and going to heaven and just sort of say, okay, it's going to happen one day. You know? We ought to get excited about going to heaven and about being in the presence of of the Lord. And then not only will you hear the shout of the Savior and the shout of angels, they'll be the signal together for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God or the trumpet of God. What was the trumpet? What was it used for in the Old Testament? Many times the shofar or the ram's horn or the trumpet was blown to signal for people to gather together. When it was Maybe Moses had something to tell the people when they were on the journey from Egypt to the promised land and they would blow the horn and people would gather together. It was also used as a signal to strike camp and move on. When the trumpet sounds with a certain sound, that's why Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 13, if the trumpet makes us an uncertain sound, you don't know what to do. Well, somebody out there just blowing on a ram's horn and people hearing it, they wouldn't know whether that was a signal to gather to Strike camp, move on what? But it had to be blown a certain way. And a certain blow on the trumpet was a signal to just pull up your tent pegs and move on. See, we're going to hear the trumpet. And the trumpet is going to be the indication to us, look, hope you hadn't driven your tent pegs in the world too deeply. Right? I heard of a military commander telling his troops when they were moving through an area, he said, we're just going to be here one night. Men, do not drive your tent pegs too deeply. A lot of God's people have driven their tent pegs so deeply in this world and in the things of this world that when the Lord comes, they're going to go, but they're going to be holding on to part of this world possibly when they try to do that. The Lord will take them out of here. I know that. 
But this world, as the song says, the old song says, this world's not our home. We're just passing through, folks. Our treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And one of these days, we're going to hear the trumpet call. And the trumpet call to say, strike your camp, pull your tent pegs up, and come and gather before me. Not only will we hear the Lord shout and we hear the voice of the archangel, but the trumpet call is going to be so clear. Listen to verse 52 back in 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The trumpet call of Christ is going to be so great, again, that all of the dead and all of the living who know him as Savior are going to hear it. Are you listening for the trumpet? Are you listening for the shout? I tell you what, years ago we had gotten a car that had a, they called it, I think, a moonroof. I don't know why they didn't call it a sunroof. They called it a moonroof. And we were driving, I remember where we were. We were coming out of Little Rock, driving down Interstate 40, going east. And apparently there was a meteor that came through and there was this white flash of light in the sky and I thought, man, we're going. I thought that was it. Now, I like that moon roof. I always called it my rapture roof. You know, the rapture came while I was driving that car and I had the top open. I just go right through the top. But it's going to be that fast. In fact, we're going to see that in just a moment. Not only there, will there be an abundance of majestic sounds, there will be the appearance of our marvelous, marvelous Savior. The appearance of our marvelous Savior. And that's in keeping with the Lord's promises. We all ought to be familiar, and by now you ought to be familiar, with John chapter 14, the first three verses. Anybody want to quote them? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Don't get to quoting that too fast. Right? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, what? I will come again and receive you. You unto myself, okay? That's so important. I mentioned Titus chapter 2 a little bit ago. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But notice what Jesus said. If I go, and he did, I will come and he will. Because it says the Lord himself shall descend. And that's exciting. That ought to be glorious. Jesus is not sending an angel after us. Jesus himself is coming to receive us unto himself. And it fulfills the prophecy of his word. Remember Acts 1.11, as Jesus ascended up into heaven, and I can just, I've said before, I can imagine those disciples standing there just sort of like, uh, you know, mouth open, staring up into the sky, and two men, I believe they were angels, standing by in white apparel said, ye... Men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come, how did he go? In the clouds, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. 
And so it just fulfills the word of God. Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Jesus, time and time again, talked about the Son of Man coming in the clouds. He's coming in the clouds. The end of this age is being ushered in by the Lord himself. And think about this. The very one who was suspended on a cross between heaven and earth is coming back in the clouds. Amen. He's not going to be suspended between heaven and earth anymore because of being nailed to that cross. The heavens will open and Jesus is going to come forth in all of his glory and we're going to get to see it. Believers all over the earth will get to see it. And he's coming for his people. For the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Jesus said, I, again, I will come again. I will receive you unto myself. And again, that's the hope, that's the expectation of every believer. Behold, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, the children of God, the born ones of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not, but verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The great hope, now are we the sons of God, but something better is coming when we get that glorified body. I said, imagine, and I put this on Facebook just this week, I may not have put it on the church's page, but imagine closing your eyes to this sin-cursed world, this sin-soaked world, and then immediately opening them to the glorious face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He is coming again. And that's supposed to be, verse 18, a comfort to us. There's the abundance of majestic sounds. There's the appearance of our marvelous Savior. And then there's the ascension of the multitude of the saints the ascension of the multitude of the saints. And what's going to happen? There'll be the raising of the dead. The dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. That word rise means to reanimate. It means to stand up. It means to be brought forth. We all, I'm sure, have loved ones that knew Jesus Christ as Savior, that have passed from this life. But guess what? Verse 52 says in our text that the dead shall be raised incorruptible. You know, these bodies are corruptible. What does that mean? That just means they're going to take this body, they're going to put it in a grave, put it in a casket, put it in a grave. But what's going to happen to this flesh? We know what's going to happen. It's going to decay. It's corruptible. It's not lasting. But we shall receive incorruptible bodies. When it says the dead shall be raised, the idea is they're going to be roused up. You know, our loved ones who have passed on. Now we do not believe, and the Bible does not teach soul sleeping or anything in purgatory or anything like that. Listen, one second, and probably faster than that, one second after you die, you will open your eyes either in heaven or hell, depending on what you've done with Jesus. Amen. Uh, people all the time want to wait, young people especially. I'll wait till I get older and then I'll be right before I die. I'll accept Christ. You don't have that guarantee. 
you don't have the guarantee of any chance other than the one you have right now. And yet people will do that and think, well, I believe in, in deathbed salvation. Well, I believe in getting saved before I'm on my deathbed. But one second after we die, we'll open our eyes in eternity. Where do you get that? Well, you go to the book of Luke, 16th chapter of Luke, the rich man and Lazarus, and we don't have the time to go there. But the rich man died, and what does it say happened? He opened his eyes in torments. He closed his eyes in death. He opened his eyes in torments. Lazarus died, and I love this part, and I'm waiting on my escort, folks, because I believe it's there. Lazarus died and was escorted by the angels into paradise and escorted by the angels into glory. I said they'll take these bodies and they'll put them in the ground, but when the Lord Jesus comes, he's going to glorify these bodies. He's going to reanimate these bodies. He's going to give us a glorified body. And whether we're living or dead, we're going to go and be with him. But not only, as I said, will these corruptible bodies be reanimated, they'll be made incorruptible. And somebody will ask, well, how does that work? I'm glad you asked. What's involved in the resurrection of the dead? Well, just look back here a few verses in this 15th chapter. In fact, look back to verse 35, first of all. By inspiration, Paul is writing this to those members of the church at Corinth, and he says, but some men will say, how are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? And he says, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. Now, when he says thou fool, he's not calling them fools in the sense that we'd call somebody a fool. He's just saying that they're ignorant of some things. And it's not wrong to be ignorant. It's bad to stay ignorant, but it's not wrong to be ignorant. If the education for something is there, it's good to take advantage of it. And so they were just ignorant of how it would happen. And he says, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him and to every seed his own body. Now he's speaking to an agrarian society. What's an agrarian? A farming society, okay? And they knew about planting and they knew about harvesting, reaping and planting the seed and seeing the seed come up and he uses that process to explain the resurrection. Now, in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, we're told, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And then verse 5 says, For if we have been planted together, okay, we're both buried and planted, planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul's talking about baptism there, and he says this, he says, Baptism, scriptural baptism is a twofold picture. It's a twofold picture. It pictures the death of our old nature in the likeness of his death. When we bury somebody in the waters of baptism, back here in this baptistry, we just take them, and that's why I insist, listen, if I baptize you, you're going to go all the way under. We're not even going to have hair floating on top of the water because you don't bury somebody and leave hair outside the ground. You're going to be buried in the water. It pictures death. And then he'd raise to walk in newness life. Here's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus. What did they do with the body of Jesus? They put it in a tomb. Three days later, he comes out of the tomb, okay? And that's what baptism, scriptural baptism pictures and the death, burial, and resurrection of the individual who has accepted Christ as Savior in the likeness of his death, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, and walk in newness of life. Now, in agriculture, 
because I love to garden. Boy, I remember, I used to have a 60 by 90 foot garden. I learned some lessons. You don't plant a 90 foot row of cucumbers. We had all the pickles we wanted, okay? Also, you don't plant a 90 foot row of squash either unless you really like squash, okay? I found that out the first year. I didn't do that anymore. But there's lessons we learn from gardening. You take, let's just, I mentioned squash. Let's just take that squash seed and put it in the ground. Now what you put in the ground does not look anything like what's going to come out of the ground, right? I mean, little old squash seed isn't much and you put it in the ground and it germinates and it grows and then all of a sudden you have this beautiful plant and it's putting on these, whether you like the straight neck or the crook neck, whatever, these yellow things that are wonderful to eat. And it's called squash. But what you put in the ground doesn't look like what comes out of the ground. What does he say in verse 38? God gives it a body as pleases him. You know why you look like you do? God gave you a body. And he gave you a body that pleases him. And one of these days with a glorified body, he's going to give you a body that pleases him. Look at verse 42. He says this. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. That's this. And it is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body. And there is a spiritual body. What does 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 say about the body we'll get? It'll be like the Lord Jesus. You know what I understand just reading about the Lord Jesus? You know, one time his disciples were in a house, all locked in the house because they were afraid of persecution, and Jesus came in through the wall. Woo, won't that be wonderful? Amen. Woo! Right, Brother Truman? Just, and, and here's what I like about it. Remember, he, he went with these guys down to Emmaus and got down to Emmaus, and he had a meal with them, and then all of a sudden he was gone from their sight, and he went somewhere else. No cars no planes, no trains. Wherever we need to go, we will be there. Right? Oh, man, I hate to travel. I would go anywhere if I didn't have to travel. You know, if I could just be there, I'm waiting for them to develop. What's that thing on Star Trek? Uh, beam me up, Scotty. And I'm waiting for them to develop that because I'd go anywhere. You know, if I can this morning go get one of those things and be shot over there and then bedtime be shot back to my bed. Oh, I'd love that. But folks, we're going to have a body that will do that. And we won't have to say, beam me up, Scotty. And look at what it says in verse 52. How fast will this happen? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The twinkle of an eye talks about, literally it talks about the, the jerk of an eye or a blink. We know that we all have involuntary movements in our bodies. And we blink involuntarily, right? Do you know how fast you blink involuntarily? A normal involuntary blink of the eye lasts 350,000 microseconds. That's 0.1 to 0.4 seconds. Okay? One-tenth to four-tenths of a second. That's how fast you blink. And you don't even know it. And that's how fast the Word of God says all of this is going to take place. Listen, it's not going to be necessary for graves to burst open. I didn't hear you amens on that, but that's true. Why was the stone rolled away from the tomb when Jesus was in the tomb? Not so Jesus could get out. 
but so those who came to the tomb could go in and see that he wasn't there. It was a witness. It was a testimony. So the Lord may burst the graves open, but not so we can get out, but as a testimony to the rapture and the resurrection of the saints. Earthly confines will not be able to contain the glorified body. But again, if necessary, the Lord will open these graves so it will be a testimony to God's great power. That's the first resurrection. And the scripture says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection because you don't want to be in the second resurrection. That's why I don't believe in a split rapture, by the way. I call it Baptist purgatory is what I call it. But anyway, it's something else together. But that's why God's word says don't sorrow as those that have no hope. If you go in the first resurrection, hey, you're good. And at a Christian funeral, what we ought to be saying is, I'll see you later. Not goodbye. It's never goodbye when a child of God dies. It's I'll see you in a little bit. And then right quickly, we've got to do this quickly now. I've spent too long doing other things, but there's the rapture of the living. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That word caught up. I know there are people who don't like the word rapture because the word rapture is not in, in the scripture itself, but it is caught up as a translation of the Greek word, which if we were to write it into English would be rapture, okay? So it means the same thing, snatched away, carried off, like an eagle swooping down and getting its prey and flying off with its prey. That's what caught up means. And that's what's going to happen in the rapture of the saved. Look back to 1 Corinthians, again, 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He said, not everybody's going to die. There's going to be some folks that are... Just get the glorified body and the catching away of the saved in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Sounds like Paul was expecting to go in the rapture of the saved. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be swift. It's going to be in the twinkling of an eye and there will be no time to get things right when it occurs. I'm going to live, I'm child of God, but I'm going to live for the flesh. And then just as the Lord comes, I'll ask God to forgive me and make things right. You're not going to have a chance to. If you can pray as fast as you can blink your eye, 0.1 to 0.4 seconds, but you can't. That's why we ought to live ready. We're going to be changed. We'll receive our glorified bodies. That's why we're to live expectantly for the Lord. Will every believer be caught up? Yes. Everybody who has repented toward God and put their faith in Jesus Christ will be called up because the basis of salvation and thus the rapture is not works, but it's faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Again, I don't believe in a split rapture. Now, I want you to note something. It does not say every church member will be called up. What are you saying, Brother Jim? It's possible that not every church member is saved. I believe, this is my personal belief, just based, I'm not trying to judge people, but based on what the Word of God says and based on what I see, we have a whole lot of members that are either horribly out of fellowship with the Lord or they do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Amen. And one of the worst places to go to hell from would be the pew of this church. Amen. Because the truth of how to be saved is preached every Sunday. And people are given an opportunity to be saved. If somebody was saved at 9 o'clock and Jesus came at 10 o'clock, they'd go. All right? It's not dependent upon baptism, not dependent upon works. 
And I want to note this also. I believe the greater one's faithfulness to God now will mean the greater his joy and the greater his blessing when the Lord Jesus comes. Paul's speaking in 2 Timothy 4. We know what he said. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. He said in verse 7, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. That love his appearing. If you're not living for Christ as a child of God, you can't love the appearing of Jesus. This agape love, this self-sacrificing love is mutually exclusive. Either you love the world or you love God. You cannot love both mutually and exclusively. So you can't love the appearing of, the Christ, of Christ and be unfaithful to him. We cannot know the exact time of Christ's return. But we're to be aware of the season. And folks, I think we're in the season. I think what we saw last week shows that the moral, spiritual, political, economic, religious indicators all point to the fact that the coming of Jesus Christ is near. But as I said at the outset, not everybody has the hope that we have. Not everybody has trusted Jesus, and not everybody believes that Jesus is coming back. God tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, There shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And in verse 5, he says, They're willingly ignorant of the truth. Now, some people who just prefer not to hear the truth and not to believe the truth and not to trust the word of God and those who try to preach the word of God in its purity... Too many who profess to be saved today believe in Christ's coming without expecting it. After last week's message, I got to tell you what Brother Grumpy did. He and our Facebook friends, after last week's message, he posted, today could be the day. And then on Tuesday, he posted again, today could also be the day. You know, we've got to get our minds to that point that this could be the day. That Jesus returns. So a question. And I'm wrapping up here. Is your life such. That you could say. As the apostle John said. Even so. Come Lord Jesus. Or would you prefer the Lord to wait a little bit. Do you long for his return. The hymn writer wrote this, When Christ shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That's from the solid rock, that song that we sing. Jesus is coming back, and we need to be ready. And if there's somebody here or somebody watching my live stream that you've never repented toward God and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you, I encourage you to be saved today. Otherwise, you're going to miss this glorious, glorious time. You'll miss the shout of the Lord. You'll miss the voice of the archangel. You'll miss the trumpet of God. You'll miss the resurrection. You'll miss the rapture. But the moment you close your eyes in death, you'll open them in a Christless eternity. Amen. Jesus is coming again. And the best way to prepare for his coming is to be saved. I believe I'm speaking to people that are saved. But if one's not, you need to be saved. To be faithfully serving him and be steadfast. Don't be moved away from the Lord. Don't be moved away from the truth. But faithfully 
Stand for the truth and serve your Lord and Savior.